Since recording this podcast back in July, Jamie Grundy has since left Cardiff Metropolitan University, now works freelance still in the prisons and in the education sector. And if you're interested in his work or contacting him, Jamie's available at jamiegrundy.net on Twitter or on his website, www.jamiegrundy.net. Chris, welcome to another episode of the Community Development Podcast. My name is Russell Todd. Thank you ever so much for all the feedback to date. It's a, it's a brand new podcast. This is episode number six. Uh, we launched it early July with a conversation with Alan Twelvetrees, author of the, the seminal sort of text on community development and community work back in 1982. Just released a fifth edition of that book and it, it, it seemed quite appropriate to take off this podcast and a new medium maybe for community development learning and, and practice with Alan. Since then, we've been up to Brumbo in North East Wales with Brumbo Heritage Project. We spoke uh, community philosophy with Jan Hyten about how that helps and facilitates communities to tackle the, the big issues of life in a very accessible, non-judgmental, but safe way for people. We talked about playwork, we've talked about the fan ownership model within sport with the people who run and own their football club in Merthyr Tidville in South Wales. And we are now going to talk today for episode six about the Prisoners Education Trust and its work with vendors and ex-offenders. If you'd like to just introduce yourselves and say a little bit about who you are and, and what your role is. I'm Mike. Um, I'm an ex-offender. was um, fortunately given funding from um, PET, Prisoners Education Trust, uh, for a course in Foundation and Journalism last year. I'm Claire Lloyd and I work for Prisoners Education Trust and I'm heading up a project working in the Welsh prisons. Uh, my name is Jamie Grundy. I'm a community engagement officer involved in project work for Cardiff Metropolitan University. Um, spent a lot of time the last couple of years working around prisoners education and also refugee education. And Jamie, you and I cross paths in a work context mm-hmm. and I've been quite sort of fascinated really in the ways you were talking about how you engage with prisons, with organisations such as PET, you know, working with, with prisoners uh, and, and ex-prisoners. And some of the terms that you were using were terms that I would use in a community development context around empowerment and engagement and facilitation and support and advocacy and things like that and was generally fascinated what you what, what you were doing specifically but realizing is this I suppose and maybe I'm a, pro- a reasonable proxy for a lot of a lot of maybe general public let alone people kind of working in 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 in, in community work not really kind of clear on what PET does or what this sort of sector is looking looking to do so that was kind of the motivation behind trying to get around the mic to talk about this because there was a lot of shared language but not necessarily the shared concepts and hoping to to explore explore some of that um, to today. So in terms of the project, Claire, that you, you head up, yeah. it's a project based in Wales, based only in Wales, Wales yes. presumably fits into a bigger picture about what PET, what the Trust does. It does indeed. PET as an organisation is a, a grant funding organisation, so we um, offer people in prison the opportunity to apply for funding, to take part in all sorts of different distance learning courses. So we've uh, got a vast array of opportunities for people. Um, However, what we found through our experience and through some of our alumni, through some of our learners that have taken part in some distance learning in prison, was that there there was more to being a successful learner than just being given a grant funding to purchase a course. That actually giving somebody some education support, some support in um, building their confidence, that of even 
even some support in choosing what sort of course would be suitable would be something that would be really useful. Mm. So the Welsh project was kind of born out of some of those ideas. However, the kind of overarching thinking was around community and identity. What we wanted to explore was whether or not there was a possibility that you could create a learning community in a prison. And if you could, where could we find them? And if we did find them, what brought people together and what did that look like? So just the problem with community then, or its use in this context, to what extent are prisoners or ex-prisoners seen as a community or would they maybe even identify as, as a community? Probably not in, in those terms, but I think there's groups of people that come together in prisons for all sorts of reasons. Mm. For reasons of collective learning, but also collective support, or just a, a fact that people are there in the same place at the same time, and so they you know, create friendships and create mm. relationships as a result of that. However, as the project matured, I think we began to encourage people to think differently about why people came together and what we could do as an organisation to facilitate people coming together in a different sort of way than they might have done before. What we did learn was that there was a difference across the prison population in Wales about what that might mean. So our thinking then was much more individual on the specific prison, that actually there might be a very established community in one place in one part of the prison but not necessarily in another so we had lots of learning to do organisationally about that about how we perceived distance learning in a prison what that meant what learning meant in a prison so we could really have a real kind of a view a very close view of what that looked like in Wales okay and again, you're using terms, some of the jumping on the words and language, using but sort of verbs around sort of facilitating, supporting, and that's what I've done in my background. Jamie, you've, you know, you've, you've worked in communities as well. Yeah. Communities of place, yeah, you know, yeah, specific sort of places in in, in, in Wales and, well, and and outside of Wales, where you talk about supporting people to affect change, to articulate their priorities, to to achieve sort of positive change, social action, all those sorts of things. So it's kind of interesting that that's what you're you're talking about within, would it be fair to say, a very marginalised group of people in society? I think so, yes. Whether they're in prison or whether they've left prison, presumably. Yeah. I said, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't work in this, in this field. And I know in terms of a lot of the community work that I've done, there will be people who I've worked with and their offending history might be a factor in why they're being supported or why they're looking to get involved or looking to give something back or whatever it might be. But what's, what, what's always struck me is that they are potentially, anyway, quite marginalised and discriminated against as well. I think with, from my experience, like, you know, I've got a community development background and the same approaches, the same opportunities that I've experienced in terms of working in a community setting in a typical community as in like a little village or a postcode or what have you or, or a housing estate, they've all been applicable um, in terms of working with learners in a prison setting. They have challenges which are common to all of them. They have needs or whether they be learning needs or maybe even support needs, which are very similar to if I was going to be running a community education class in a community centre on a certain night of the week. You know, there's certain times that work, there's certain times there aren't. What are the facilities like? What equipment do you need? What do you want to get out of the course? What Where do you want to go with this course? Um you've enjoyed this course where do you want to go next all exactly the same sort of things that typically in a community development context you're often looking about let's do this course because it improves your employability and gets you into work well that may well be the same that may well be why one of people want to do a particular education course that we're doing in a prison for example but there'll be um 
there'll be other issues as well. It may well feed uh, and encourage an, uh, an increased desire to continue learning. And that's why PET is great at, at, at linking in there. But also, um, thinking about an example that we've got at the moment where we're running a course over at HMP Prescoid. Originally, that course was there to, to specifically to improve the employability of the men who were on a, on a, a substance misuse support programme. And we came in to deliver a small teaching qualification that nobody else was able to deliver at the time. So we came in and we delivered it. And to encourage the university to run this course, we very much took it as being a, an employability course um, so that the guys would come on the course. They would have exactly the same learning experience as if we did the course out in the community. We haven't changed it in any way. And then we hoped then that that would act as, as a... Um, as, as an extra tick on their CV or an extra qualification. So that if they go into work where they're expected to lead groups, facilitate sessions, um, run um, support sessions on a particular subject, essentially teaching by every other name, they would have this qualification so they would know how best to deliver those sessions and, and get the most out of, the, of, the, of their sessions. What you do in terms of that widened access, that sort of outreach provision is... Yeah. Is, is a, I'm doing dirty commas with my fingers, but like that traditional community-based learning. So Yeah, it's community it's learning. that you've sort of said that consciously you've tried to replicate that yeah. in then a prison I, setting. I, I, yeah, I, we did. And interestingly, what that probably came out of wanting and inadvertently at first all the people that we had to get on board for this particular teaching qualification, a couple of teaching staff, and then we've got an academic support person as well and myself... Because of the nature of it being in a prison, it's quite exciting, it's a little bit different for everybody. So there's a re everybody suddenly comes forward, like lots and lots of support. But then what we found was that if we weren't careful, we were actually giving people more support than they would have had if they were in a community setting. And you could be um, criticised of providing not additional learning, but you were you may be unfavorably you may be unfavorably prioritizing this learner over another learner who might be doing the course on a Tuesday night in you know a, a suburb of Cardiff mm. rather than doing it in a, in a prison. So we had to sort of consciously say right, what are we delivering? What would we do if it was out in a community's first area in Cardiff? How would we deliver that course then? This is how we would deliver it. It would look like this. We would then take that model. Um, and deliver it in, in, in the prison and, and expect the same things of those learners because if they did that course and they were in the community they would have exactly the same challenges but get exactly the same positives from the course as well and that's been good so far we, we've, we'll find out on Wednesday when we do the micro teaching but it should be good I think those things are really important as well around demonstrating opportunity so if you've had an opportunity whilst you've been in prison and you understand how to be part of that group, how to learn in that, in that certain way, that if there is an opportunity in your community when you're released, you kind of understand it, you know it, you've, you've kind of navigated your way around it already. And so I think there's something about mm. duplicating those experiences is that you can have a very similar experience in prison as you can in the community. Okay. And I've seen that information before about people wanting to get a qualification in prison that doesn't say... it qualification from HMP here's your exam board and that's the name on the qualification well that's what we've done here we've taken a community learning opportunity and the people who pass the assessment will get a, a transcript and a little certificate with Cardiff Met on it you know you could have taken it in any part of Cardiff or you could have taken it in HMP Prescoid essentially you've still learnt the same information um, you still set all the same assessment criteria there's nothing different there about that course 
One of those things was really interesting in the development of the project, thinking about prisoner's identity and thinking about the positive switch. That If you think about yourself and other people think about you as a learner or as a student, then that's going to shift the way you think about yourself and how others mm. think about you. And I think that example Jamie's just given is a real demonstration of how identity can be really important to how people think about themselves and the, and the way in which they, they are treated mm. and expect that thereafter. So that... Yeah. You can continue that. You now see yourself as I, I can achieve something. I can be a student at Cardiff Met because I've done it. Which is empowering them for their individuals. And it's also quite reciprocal as well because definitely the two tutors that I brought in there at first were quite hesitant about it. So we made sure that I treated with kid gloves. I took a long time meeting with them, talking about things, explained what it would be like. I mainly explained what it wouldn't be like. And then the learners um, all came into the class and it was a little bit of it, you know, the first one or two sessions, it was a little bit unusual. I wasn't there for the next few sessions. Um, I've been there for the final few. It's just like any normal class. There's somebody who's having a problem with this assignment. There's somebody who's helping them. There's a bit of banter going on there. Somebody's forgotten their paper. Somebody needs a pen. It's exactly the same as any normal classroom, you know. I, I can remember years ago, first ever community development job up in, in, in Wrexham in North Wells, and, and it was called Objective 2, mm-hmm. uh, funded programme around community education, and there was a tutor there who traditionally worked in the private sector and would go in and do kind of ECDL and CLATE and all those kind of IT courses, but within large corporations and, and manufacturing companies, for example, in, in, in the Northwest or on the North, North, Northeast Wales coast. And he came in to do this and he said he found this so much more interesting and enjoyable but challenged his teaching practice yeah. because he had people that would turn up late they might turn up at all but they were dealing with with the things that you know we all have to deal with in life but perhaps don't have the support mechanisms or have those complex those added complexities yeah. around maybe mental health issues substance abuse there was a uh, there was a tenancy support program there with what was the, the National Schizophrenic Fellowship, which was helping people with schizophrenia manage their own tenancies. And some of these people had chaotic lives, but at the heart of it was they wanted to get engaged with IT. And I remember Martin said, saying at the time, he said, this is really, really challenging me. And I find that I'm responding and meeting that challenge with my teaching practice and how I'm able to help and teach these and educate these, these people. Yeah. And it's interesting what you're sort of saying. It's one of those things that I've, uh, one of those recurring memories that comes back to me that really is quite instructive and quite kind of powerful as well. I think it definitely challenges your ability as a tutor because sometimes there's a a tendency to sort of, you know, I've got a really interesting clip on YouTube. I'll pull this up and exemplify it. It shows the teaching point that I'm trying to make here. Well, none of our learners and none of our tutors have been able to do that. Uh, we know there were restrictions around internet use in the classroom. Right. Okay. So they've not been able to do that at all. So their presentation, they've got they've got lots of little hyperlinks in it. The first thing they did was strip all those out, find different ways to present a point on different teaching styles that you would be expected to use with different types of, uh, of, of students. Okay, well, you can't show that nice clip you've been using as a tutor for five years out in the community. How do you do that differently? So yeah. it's definitely taking the tutors back to a point where they've got to think to self right... How do I look within myself, find the skills that I need to get this point across and make certain that the learners are getting the most out of this session as possibly can? It's really interesting because it demonstrates the challenge that learners have when they're in prison to, to complete their course successfully because there isn't any access to internet. There's not access to your yeah. tutor at the yeah. end of an email. Yeah. That actually you need to be really motivated. You need to be you know, a quite a tenacious sort of person to be a successful learner. And it's really interesting that actually the feelings of, of of a kind of successful tutoring experience must be the same Mm -hmm. to feel Mm -hmm. that as a learner because Mm -hmm. you've invested an awful lot in becoming a successful learner whilst you're in prison. 
So Mike, you've been, you've been nodding a lot. <laughs> to what extent, on the, the journalism course that you've just completed, does the experience that sort of Jamie described chime with, with yours? That last point was really interesting in, in terms of, for me, it, there was a desire to do something productive while I was while I was in prison. So I had the drive to want to learn something, want to learn a new skill. And what's kind of been discussed about that, the sort of the challenges of not having the things you're familiar with, the internet, just the resources mm. to hand, it is a challenge. But if you've got the right kind of support in the prison service, then, you know, you've got fantastic libraries where you can access information. Mm. You've got a limited access to, to kind of tutors and things, but maybe that takes another couple of days. So you've got mm. time to reflect on things. I felt having been to university in the past and then doing this kind of distance learning in a restricted environment, that, that I reflected a lot more on, on my work rather than kind of almost I was the one that used to stay up until midnight to submit a paper the next morning where actually you've got far more time to actually think about what you're writing, think about what you're okay. producing. And the difficulty I had, I guess, was trying to find like-minded people or that community that's kind of kind of been touched on is that because of the restrictions, because maybe a computer room is only open for three hours in a day, and perhaps in an open prison, you've got guys that are uh, going out to work in the day. So where do they go and do their work in the evening? Where in, in maybe a, a lockdown prison, it's it's different again because mm. you, you maybe some guys are, are almost forced to go to education, and that's probably not the right attitude to have to education. So there are a lot of challenges, and and it, it is about somebody being determined to change change their mm. ways or to leave with with something that can help them uh, in the future. I think. It's interesting what you said then as well, Mike, about that reflection, because it's a quite a new and fancy area of academic learning is reflective right. skills and reflective practice. And I certainly found that, that the guys who I met, they're not as, I don't know, reactive to things as I thought they may be. They certainly think about things a great deal. And you may say some little points on a Wednesday when we do the course... And then when you come back the following week, they'll pick you up and you say, oh, by the way, that thing that you mentioned seven days ago, and I wanted to ask you about this. What do you think about that? And they'll come up with an incredible question. And it is a really reflective environment. And that's definitely reflected without wanting to sound like I'm doing a pun there in this learning yeah, experience would, as well. I wouldn't disagree. I'm not in a position to disagree, but I challenge in this, in, only in the sense that for then us to talk about community work and community development, actually, really from quite early on, from the days that when Alan was writing his, his texts, you know, mid, late 70s, early 80s, actually the reflective element was key you will do better community work you your practice will be honed and enhanced if you consciously take time out to reflect and that means you have to plan that into your working week and it's things that funders don't want don't see as important because it's not delivery it's not outputs or outcomes but actually it needs to be in there and i think actually maybe in other forms of learning we say that learning has to be the heart of effective and genuine community development practice maybe in other forms of learning it's the reflection that's actually they've caught up with community development perhaps you're probably right. You're probably right there, and there's, there's quite a lot of, of academic literature out there. And I'll, maybe I'll have to sort of send you a list of them and go alongside this podcast of you know reflective practice, and academics, and practitioners. And it doesn't go back a couple of years; it goes back quite a long way yeah, than that. Yeah. So, but what can be quite simple techniques as well? Oh yeah, you know, absolutely. it takes sort of five ten minutes just to kind of hone in and. And things like that. But since you sort of said that you, you, you jumped on a bit about yeah. reflection and to because that was the bit that really kind of chimed, chimed me there. I mean, you've got, yeah. you've got time in what, what I think people maybe 
don't necessarily understand is you you've got a lot of time yeah unless yeah. you you know become a fan of bargain hunt and other the daytime programs yeah. and the gym well you can fit you know you can fit the gym in as well and, yeah and, but you've got a lot of time so to find something productive to do and if you're in a class and then you you've got a lot more time maybe to reflect yeah. on it because you haven't got the distractions of a, a modern society you haven't got a phone in your hand or, or the internet you know yeah. we, we can all get addicted to twitter and facebook and things you haven't got that yeah you've yeah. got the the library with maybe the textbooks you need and a paper in front of you yeah and so you have got time to reflect on things and for someone like myself who's going into that environment and the academics are delivering the course and the students are experiencing the learning and they're asking questions are going back and forth there is a side of the the academic discipline of learning now which is about reflecting in action and i would often be at the back just picking up on little things that maybe we needed to work on in the future or most of the time just catch up with work that i'd never got a chance to catch up before with but often one of the things that i do in my work is i do a lot of sort of reflection in action which i've learned from john Hyten, dr john Hyten's course some, some some academic learning i've done with her about reflective skills and the ability for academics or professionals to reflect in that environment is key because prisoners do not have access to the internet, they don't have access to email. So if there's some question that when I'm back in the office, I think to myself, oh, what, did, what did Josh say? What did Josh say? What did Pete say? I haven't got an opportunity to, to fire that email up or to give them a call. So I've got to get it down right there and then and, and reflect on it straight away to make those changes. Because if I don't do, if I don't act on it right there and then, that's gone. I think picking up on that learning environment is really interesting. Mm. And some of the work that Jamie and I have progressed on to is, is thinking about the progression. So you're in prison and you're a successful learner and you've got some aspirations to continue that learning once you're released. But what does that look like? Who's there to support you? And is there a pathway into mm. higher education? And so what we've been trying to unpick is what the support need is in that transition because... Yeah. The style of learning is very different when you're in prison. It's mm. either that you're very self-directed and you're very disciplined in your own learning or that you're kind of channeled into doing some very directed, very kind of authoritative type mm. of learning. So actually then to make a decision, actually, I really want to continue this. This is the best thing I've ever learned. And I've had some amazing conversations with people who have suddenly sparked into learning has been the best thing there's one guy that springs to mind that's doing a maths degree at the moment and he's so excited about this maths degree every time you talk to him that's all he wants to talk about his visits with his family have completely changed because all he wants to talk about on a visit is maths so now his family are doing maths as well because this is just <laughs> well. the contagion of maths in this guy and this guy is your most untraditional learner that you would ever imagine however for him something sparked and i don't know what it was that that sparked him but maths has been the kind of we talk about that a lot you, know, you, you can be working on a community somewhere maybe in a traditional community place yeah state somewhere and sometimes somebody will walk through that door or they will pick up the phone or they will get in touch in some way they won't come to a committee meeting they won't so you no. have to have those informal Absolutely. and alternative structures and it might be that that step across the threshold so to speak has been something they've been meaning to do for a long long time and the courage and the confidence that that's taken means that it's, you've got to make that moment count because it might not come around again. Or, yeah. might, or someone has a word in the ear, oh, I don't bother getting involved with that lot, are they? You know, or, or, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. And so I think I've always been kind of struck about how you need to be really kind of tuned into when, when those moments might be because those you might not necessarily recognise them. Or for you, it's just another person stepped into the office or has tapped you on the shoulder in the town square or whatever. But for that person, that could be something, a culmination of mm. several weeks. 
build up in confidence and, and that's, courage. Yeah. That's the case with it, you know, with, with the guys that we're working with at the moment in Prescoy. They've come through a substance-use education program called the Chase program. They've done very, very well. And they're now doing a teaching course with us. And basically, they've done up to level one courses. They've done some level two courses. Level three courses. What, level, what do those levels equate to if people don't understand? Well, level two is... Yeah, level three is sort of like A-level or access course or foundation okay. level study. And then level four would be the first year of a degree. Okay. So they've done those sort of step-based learning or whatever subjects they've chosen. Um, and they're now doing a level four qualification with us. And I'm fairly certain they still don't realise it. They're basically doing a module from a degree. And they would be completely surprised. There's a couple of guys there who have just never thought of themselves as being a university learner. However, what they are doing right now is they're doing a module that is delivered to people in a university. And they're doing absolutely fine with it, you know. But that's that's interesting in, in itself because perhaps if they were aware that it was a university yeah. thing, it might put them off. Yes, actually. very true, very true. Because there is, having been in the system, I was quite surprised at how many people were below average in sort of academic terms. And so you have, for those that don't know, maybe you, you have different types of prisons. So you have lockdown prisons where it's the more traditional porridge idea, I guess, where you mm. have X amount of hours out to do exercise and go to work and then you're locked up for the rest of the day. Where you have places like Prescoid, which are open prisons, which are about resettlement and about getting people back into some sort of normality. In, in, in maybe locked down prisons, you have more a sense of education being driven by staff or a plan. Whereas in somewhere like an open prison, you may have more flexibility to choose your own path and do things that you feel will help you. And you yeah. maybe have more flexibility, I guess, is what, what I'm trying to say. And I think I'm right in saying that in Wales, prisoners move around more they, than, than in, in English prisons. They definitely move around. I don't know whether it would be more, but definitely there's a, a progression in yeah. your prison mm. experience. So you have that interesting mix in somewhere like Press Coid where you have guys from all over the UK sometimes yeah. because it, you know there are, there are a few open prisons for whatever reason. So you have people that have also been in prison for, for various degrees, of, various lengths of sentences, where they mm. may have been for 10 years or more. Um, and suddenly they're in an, an open environment where they're given freedom, a lot of freedoms, but one of those freedoms is how they choose to learn. Yeah. And that's an interesting kind of experiment, I guess, is yeah. and whether, if we're talking about community, how you create a community in that kind of environment yeah. for education. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. And it's interesting because one of the reasons we've worked with Prescoid more is because of that freedom. We have, we have the opportunity to to work with guys with a view to progression mm. so that they are able then to come to Cardiff Met or go to any other university, whichever they want to choose, but there is this opportunity for, prog- for progression there. And we currently have a couple of guys that are studying at Cardiff Met um, on licence with us. You know, they just go back every night to their own unique halls of residence, as I call it. So they <laughs> so they, so they go back to Prescott every night. The rest of the day, they are learners with us and they and they're doing great. But... What we realised, I think, was when we started to work with them is that certainly one of them, there's two guys, one of them had been in university before, the other one hadn't. But when one of them came to university, he was convinced that people would recognise him as being a prisoner. He was, he was convinced that was what people would look at him as. Actually, nobody noticed. They were more concerned with the fact that he was that he was driving 45 minutes a day to get here. They just thought, well, you're not local, what are you doing? You know, That was more what they were interested in. So that's identity and, and, and the challenges and the different learning challenges that people have got to meet that you talked about, Claire, is, it's really important, I think, when it comes 
come to that. I think probably you're in a unique position, really, because you've been able to experience learning outside in the university and then contrast that and compare it to what it's learning is like inside. So. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that uh, that's interesting in itself that somebody is engaged in a university setting where perhaps they haven't been before and are travelling those distances. So yeah. they may feel that they're going to be excluded from this university community because of that reason because they're maybe not living on campus or yeah. close by so they can't necessarily get involved in social activities mm-hmm. because of, of being on a, on a license or only being permitted outside the prison for a certain amount yep. of hours yeah um, and then having to go back so that person if they've been to university before or not they've got a lot of barriers in front of them before yeah. they even walk through the door yeah and, and a confidence thing i think is part of that as well Definitely. if they've if they've been in in, in a prison setting for be it three months or years, their confidence is, is knocked and they maybe mm. do think that they have a big arrow on their head going, yeah. he or she has been in prison and yeah. they're still in prison. You know, all of these are things that we've talked about, again, in a more maybe sort of, I don't know if use a sort of traditional mainstream, but certainly my experience, that place-based form of community work, people yeah. who've had negative experiences previously, um, people who might lack confidence, people who've been told maybe that um, that's not for you, or have a view that it's not for me and that gets reinforced and it's about cultural norms and, and lack of role models, etc., etc. It's just within maybe a different system, I suppose, that's much more maybe sort of rigid. and. I think it's in a different place. It's in a, it, it, all those things are there. Yeah. You know, I've, I've faced yeah. all those. You know, I've run you know, community learning programmes in, in Rutherford and Taff and those things were exactly the same barriers that I had. You know, yeah. you'd get people who maybe were told to come to an education programme because it was dependent upon their benefits. So it was a job club and they'd be there and they didn't want to be there. And then you've and that has parallels with this whole kind of totally culture of sanction and compulsory job search yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. That's in order to access these perceived benefits further down the line, you have to change your behaviour, conform yeah. to this process and actually have very little influence, if possibly any at all, as to what that actually is, that system is. So I mentioned, Mike, in what you were saying about how around sort of people having the opportunity or even encouraged to design their own learning experience. Yeah. And so does that amount to just having, oh, here's a list of courses, what do you want? Or people come and ask you first, what is it that you would like to do and how would you like to learn within the constraints that you've... Well, I mean, I think looking at kind of sort of an open, an open, envi- an open prison environment... Your, the purpose of that environment where there are no walls, there are no gates is that you you are given a degree of trust that maybe you haven't had in a long time and you're trusted to make independent choices independent decisions about you know everything from what you eat that, that evening to what work you do or what education you do and that empowerment means you're ultimately making real life choices mm. maybe in a, in a closed environment you feel that you have to do things to progress through the system there are basic tests that you have to do when you arrive so that the system can establish what level of education you're at Mm. before you go any further. There are mandatory courses maybe for those that don't reach a certain standard. Um, Whereas in an open environment, you are, you know, there is more flexibility, there is more freedom. And uh, Prisoners Education Trust, for example, have prospectuses where you can browse and at your leisure almost, (laughs) which you have a lot of leisure. A range of courses that, that may not be suitable for you, but actually it, it's maybe the first opportunity that you can get to see what is available. Mm. or And it may get you thinking, you know, you're reflecting, so it may get you thinking about what is it I want to do? Because apparently everybody wants to become a plumber, an electrician, or work on the rails, because that's traditionally what a lot of the courses are that you can get in a prison. Whereas actually 
suddenly you've got this plethora of courses that mean that you can do a foundation in journalism. You can, that's all I can think of right now. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, there's there's more freedom and there are staff there, certainly in my experience, there are staff there to help you navigate through that. So in terms of your experience, Claire, in terms of the Welsh Project, what kind of learning communities might we find then in prisons? Because it was a term used at the, at the outset. Yeah. And I'm quite struck by that because I know of, Community's first examples, for instance, and other, other aspects of community action where people kind of go, that's what we want to achieve in a local setting, is a learning community. Yeah. In a prison context, what are we talking about there? So first of all, I suppose there's two. There's one about the prison, and then there's also the community that surrounds the prison. Okay. So we were interested in both, because I think there's an inevitable importance that those two things connect. So first of all, the communities in a prison, I think they're as diverse as the prisons that we've got in Wales. So what we started to do early on in the project was really explore where the communities might be. So we found an amazing community in a library in HMP Swansea. It was run by some amazing librarians. They were really open to different sorts of activities going on in their library. They encouraged mm-hmm. learning. They encouraged people to read different sorts of books, to come to a book club. They were just re- two very inspiring people. So that kind of contagious process mm-hmm. was happening mm-hmm. in, in HMP Swansea. However, it was kind of restricted a little bit to the library. So we kind of thought, OK, so how can we build that community there that was already existing? It was already there, but it was quite small. So we began to talk with the librarians. Could we run some additional groups in your library to kind of build on what you've got? They were really keen. So we started the idea of looking at some academic study support sessions. And the first one was run at HMP Swansea in the library. And it was great. We had seven guys there. We talked about what sort of courses they were studying, but then what similarities there were in the things that they were finding challenges with or in some of the aspects of learning in a prison that they were finding difficult. So the learning community there began as a, a kind of piggyback onto something that was that was already well established. But it also was able to pull out some people with some common themes and some common support needs, and that was through the study skills. And we kind of took this idea of, is this something that we're going to find across the other prisons in Wales that actually the study skills was a really good vehicle in which we could suggest to prisons that we could begin to think about what a community could look like and either build that upon communities that already existed like in Swansea and in in HMP Park where there's a really well-established further education department with dedicated staff with really committed staff that they run GCSEs, A-levels people doing degrees, one guy currently doing his master's whilst he's he's in HMP Park. Again, there's a community there. However, how could we help them maintain it and develop it and make it appropriate for that group of learners? Because they were different to the group of learners in Swansea. So a lot of what we've been doing is identifying where there might be communities, what can we do to build that and empower those communities to keep going. Our project is only going to last a certain amount of time, but people are always going to be, sadly, Mm -hmm. in HMP Prescott and Cardiff and the rest. So part of the reasons we were really keen to develop the learning communities or to enhance the communities that were already there was really to embed the importance of distance learning in prisons. So we talk about distance learning yeah. because it's not a traditional learning environment. Yeah. You know, Mike, you've very helpfully explained the distinction between the um, you know, restricted kind of lockdown environment mm-hmm. versus the open. So to what extent then is that, that key to it? It's key to it in a sense that that's the opportunity 
if whilst you're in prison you want to do something other than the statutory provision of, of education. So the prison service provide education, but it's up to a certain standard and it's a certain type of generally English and maths and, and kind of often basic skill type of education. If someone comes into prison and they're coming in at a, a higher academic level or they've progressed as they've been in prison, then PET offers the opportunity for distance learning courses, education courses, as well as vocation courses. And what we think is that distance learning really allows somebody to develop themselves and start their own learning journey. MOJ statistics suggest that 25% of people that engage in distance learning are less likely to reoffend. That's a great statistic. And so our work isn't based upon reducing reoffending. Our work is based on encouraging people to participate in education and often in education for education's sake. And that's a key thing to emphasise there, isn't it, in terms of values and, and principles that you have. But I suppose this work needs funding and paying for mm. and, and everything else. And so you, know, you need those outcomes, don't you? It's, Absolutely. Uh, uh, and one of the great outcomes of our project has been that we've had a 53% increase in people taking distance learning courses yeah. in Wales since yeah. in the last 16 months. Okay. And that's great to to know that those people have started their journey. So yeah. We're, yeah. We're really and, and, and it's certainly from us, from like a, you know a third party's perspective from a university, there's no way we'd have, we would have been able to do anywhere like the kind of work that we've done in prisons and with prisoners and ex-offenders if it hadn't have been for PT's pilot project in, in, in Wales. You know, we were kind of like muddling along, doing little bits and pieces, but then by working in partnership with an organisation who obviously know their stuff, then you're able to work more effectively, more correctly, and, and some of the really good successes that we've had in the last couple of years have been, have been down to that. It is about partnership working. And again, in a way, that comes back to a community development principle. If we, as a third party, were to go into a community and say... I know what you need. Mm. We'll start delivering um, this particular course. Let's, you know, let's all do this course. It would be rejected out of hand. We'd sit there in a classroom that we spent money on, and nobody would turn up. But by engaging with, often when we do community learning, we we engage with the community's first partnership or a housing association or an established community development organisation. In this case, we've engaged with PET, who've been able to introduce to the right people into the prison, who've said, yeah, we've got these people, this is what they need, you know, and then we'll be able to set up those meetings and, and deliver that learning opportunity. It's following community development principles, but in a very tightly controlled sort of community of place, really. Mm. And that partnership approach has been key to the WASH project throughout. We couldn't have been successful if we hadn't have sourced similar organisations that do similar things in prison. So, for instance, St Giles Trust run a really successful mentoring programme in the WASH prisons. And so we've worked alongside St Giles Trust to understand what do peer mentors do in a prison and how can we enhance them and upskill them in order that peer mentors can help promote distance learning and when learners are stuck maybe with course choices or stuck with some of the application process there's some peer learners there that are experts in that field so we collaborated with Cardiff Met and with St Giles in producing some some toolkits some handbooks so with Cardiff Met we produced a a learner handbook to help learners kind of navigate that process of distance learning and Mm. and we hooked up with Dr Chris Dennis one of the 
I'm not sure right. He's an academic, he's, yeah, academic, he's a study skills specialist study here skills at college, no? To write this handbook together. And the handbook was an opportunity in which to really demonstrate the uniqueness of being a learner in prison mm. and those different skills that you needed in order to be mm. successful. Is that the start of someone's journey and they're going to think, yeah, I've just finished that course and now I want to do another one. Or I've just finished my GCSE and now I think I might do an A-level. The partnership has come up any, any number of times in these podcasts. I'm, I'm thinking back to the one we did with Merthyr Town around how you know, they were talking about partnerships with, with um, you know, organisations with football and sport and the local authority around planning and all those sorts of things. Gary Pembrumba was talking about traditional maybe statutory providers, a community council and the local authority, but also actually putting quite a lot of effort and work into development partnership with funders yeah. before getting into bed, so to speak, with them and going to application, really kind of spending time with that. And I think that's absolutely crucial because it's not always clear what we're trying to achieve or people have assumptions and misconceptions, like maybe maybe more so when, when, you, when you start using words like prisoner yeah. and prisons. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I do another 50 yeah. of these podcasts, that partnership, not just the word, but the actual concept will, will keep, keep around its head. It and, was, sorry, Jane, it's just really important for us to be in partnerships with the prisons as sure. well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in yeah, the, you yeah. know, there have been our most important relationship is understanding how they work, what that means, what education means in a prison, what it could be mm, introducing mm, them mm, to each mm, other because mm, mm, that often doesn't happen either so that's been really interesting but also introducing the prisons and education teams in the prison to academic research or different ways of working and kind of widening that opportunity for people to have an opportunity to kind of make changes I think with me yeah it's, it's important with the prison but it's about the, the partnerships within the prisons as well so for example recognising that you're not going to be working with just the education unit but about working with the with the research settlement team in the prison and quite often what we found that you know we universities are incredibly siloed organizations you know one school doesn't talk to another school unless it's over a buffet in, in prisons it's very much you know you've got you've got the resettlement team and they've got the education team and you may have a query that you fire off to the resettlement team but if it's to, if it's to do with education the query may get passed on it may not get passed on but you don't know that as an external person mm-hmm. so it's about building those relationships and, and celebrating those relationships as well Peer mentoring is interesting. I mean, we've talked a lot about that within Beauty's First Programme the last couple of years, about the importance of that. And I have my reservations about this to a certain extent, but a lot of our government strategy lately is around mentoring and coaching people into work or at the very least closer to the labour market. And I think that has clearly has a role. I don't think it's the sum total of what you need to do to get people into work, which is where my reservations lie. But then in terms of what the peer mentoring that the PT does as a whole, to what extent is there a desire for those mentors to be coming from the prison population or from recent released prisoners perhaps or from in the open context and that actually there's a, almost a sense of beginning to draw on that population developing almost kind of collective approaches then to, to, to education and learning. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in some prisons, there's an opportunity for, for current learners to feed into prisoner councils and there's some mechanism in which they can influence some of the things that happens in, in the prisons whilst they're there. But there's also an opportunity for PT mentors or peer mentors or learners, once they're released, to still participate and be an active member at PT through our alumni community. We really encourage people to stay in touch with us, particularly in Wales, if people want to stay in touch with us 
who maybe haven't managed to complete their course whilst they've been in prison and were there to support them to do that if, if they so want, wish to. And I think, Mike, that was something that Mike was able to do. And the PET alumni community is an opportunity for learners to really influence PET policy and strategy and direction. And we're really keen to ensure that the learner voice is really heard in our organisation. And it's an opportunity for us to do that, to make sure that actually what we're doing is what's needed. And I think that's what's sort of invaluable, really, is that, you know, you can have organisations set up to support anything but if they're not listening to the the service users if you like then you know is anybody doing anything worthwhile whereas actually where PT have got at the moment is is this alumni community and then a group that have a board member in their midst that that actually sits on the board and, and reports back any issues that group can then help maybe inform strategy has direct experience of learning in a variety of prisons and you know all prisons are, are, are different or different it may have as, as, as kind of Claire's mentioned we've had you know really enthusi- enthusiastic staff in some maybe not so mm. in others maybe different restrictions and actually bringing all of that sort of experience together to help inform strategy so that PET can go and pass that back to whoever be it government be it the prisons themselves and help improve the, the kind of journey for a learner is only going to be a good thing, I think. Mm. And having been a mentor in, in the prison system, both in a locked down environment and in an open prison environment, being able to support somebody who maybe is completely new to the system is better coming from another prisoner than coming from maybe somebody that sits in an office mm. with a with a lanyard and a name tag and knows all about you. You know, I don't mm. necessarily, I'm talking to a guy, I don't necessarily know mm. what he's done. Mm. Mm. It doesn't matter because what he wants to do is improve yeah. yeah is improve his life through education which that's that's all that should matter at that point i was helping a guy who had no idea how to structure his essay he had a, gu- a lovely guide from wherever he was studying from but that was confusing to him so sitting down and just going this is how you structure an essay this is how you do footnotes and the basic things that, yeah. that often in university settings you do in the first year anyway yeah yeah um but, you know, maybe that's forgotten in prison terms. The, the basic skills you need to just present your work, that's something you can't phone your tutor about because mm. you, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Or email your tutor about it or something. Yeah. So having, having a mentor there that can just support you through that or even proofread something for you yeah. is, you know, is invaluable, really. All the things that you would expect to go on in a university. The basic things yeah. that you would ask somebody Pop to... Pop down to the library, speak to somebody in IT about how do you do footnotes, yeah. all those kind of things, they yeah. have no opportunity to do that. But you may also have, have staff in, in the prison that don't know how to do that. Yeah, you yeah. Know, maybe, or haven't got time to do <clears> that or something. So actually having mentors that maybe are upskilled to, to know that stuff, mm. be it that they've done a course themselves or just that they, they have a, a grasp of that structure is going to help somebody immensely to mm. hopefully you know, complete their course. Not, we're not talking about the content, because I, I wouldn't necessarily know how to do a, a personal trainer course, but I can help them structure their essay yeah. so that they can present it in the right way. And it's interesting because that goes back a little bit to, to some of the community development principles, because I mean, when, I, when we first met you, Claire, we, I met with one of my colleagues to say we, we've... We've got this module that we do on academic skills. We want to deliver it in the prisons. And you said, that's great, but it won't work. And again, that was an example of us as a big organisation going, going to say, we know what to do. We, this is what we think should be done. And it was me forgetting all my community development training. <laughs> but really, it's about, you know, you said to us rightly, actually, what, pe- what would be of greater benefit would be an academic skills resource so that people who 
if you're doing level four, which is undergraduate learning in, in university, all those academic skill support sessions that you could go to, to go to in any university or any college, taking all that all that information and putting it together in the form of a book and saying to a learner, okay, we know that there are restrictions, you can't get all this information normally, but here's what it looks like, have that. Um, and that's been successful, you know, that's been a, a much better way of doing things. That, that was brilliant. You know, we, we had access to those in Prescoid and just for some of the guys who... Even basic things like how to structure your your research time, yeah. just things that you take for granted, I yes. guess, can just help somebody just mm. take a weight off their shoulders. If they're already nervous about maybe doing it, yeah. doing a course for various reasons, they've committed to it, and those little steps that can help them just structure their time, help them you know understand that what they're doing is right, mm. is or as close to right as, as they can be. I like remember working with a treasurer of a residence group who'd never written a check. I remember sitting down with her to write her first ever cheque. She was in the 60s. A traditional, shall we say, married life environment mm. that he was in charge of the money and she'd never needed to, but she was a treasurer. And I think, I suppose, that the, the relevance of the parallel perhaps there is that, you know, when you, you set up a committee, you set up a community, you've got constitutions. For some of us, it is just mainstream stuff. The course is delivered in this way, like you like you yeah. did to, Jamie. Um, you've sometimes got to go all the way back to basics to think, actually, can it just be dropped in and imported? Or exported from yeah. the usual kind of university environment, for argument's sake. It's got to be adapted, but it's not absolutely. And some things about you know helping people structure their time, structure how they research, practical things about footnoting and referencing, mm. etc. Again, chimes for me about how we talk about used to talk about it. Seems to become a bit of a dirty word. Is you know capacity building. Mm. It's, it's giving people those skills and those resources and knowledge to then next time they're faced with that challenge, whether it's a practical one about an essay or whether it's about deciding what course to do next and how to kind of take another step or two along that learning pathway that what you're doing is building people's capacity. It's a sort of final perhaps discussion point. Mikey talked about the role of people having a, in a representative capacity, they influence and, and, and maybe kind of provide feedback on how things are managed, how things are delivered. Is there other, are there other ways in which the prisoner population can participate in you know, the work of, of the trust or, or more broadly with its partners? I think some of the work that we've been um, doing in the Welsh project is looking at how we can encourage the wider community to become involved in prisoners' education and involved in PET. And one of the ways we've done that is to collaborate with other organisations, so one being Open University and Cardiff Met University and um, hosting some events where we've invited um, not only prison staff but those organisations that support prisons and support prisoners to come together and to talk about some of the challenges but also to celebrate some of the successes mm. of prison education um, and those events so there's been three in Wales and there's another one coming up on the 14th of September at De Montfort University in Leicester and that's going to be hosted by the PLA which is the Prisoner Learning Alliance those events are a real opportunity for like-minded people to come together to talk about prison education, but also to, to celebrate the success of our learners, which are huge, and mm. we're really proud of them. Yeah, no, and why not? I mean, that's, that's important, isn't it? And presumably that's a way of identifying or just demonstrating and showcasing sort of role models and, and that positive change, both sort of within the system, so to speak, and then from outside. Do you find that there's much explaining that has to be done as an organisation about what you, not what you're trying to do and your purpose, but actually who you're doing it with and, and, and things like that. Because it comes back to that earlier point around, you know, we're talking about quite a discriminated against or potentially discriminated against population. 
I think within the wider community, yes. Okay. Within the prison education community, yeah. no. Yeah. I think yeah. I think we uh, we know what each other does yeah, and sure. the part we play. But yes, with the wider community, I think prison education in itself is not understood, and people don't understand. Even I imagine some prisoners don't understand what opportunities yeah. are there when when you're in prison, as far as education goes. You answered it better than I asked it. Because there is a danger, and again we talk about this, certainly Alan and I talked about this I think in one of the podcasts was around how you can almost just talk within your own circles all of the time, you're preaching to the converted so to speak, but sometimes you've got to actually inhabit other space, involve yourself with other people, Mm -hmm. other sectors to kind of sort of say, or to challenge almost preconceptions, assumptions. I I think we we found it very much so when I I attended the first uh, PLA. I found it very, very useful because from an, an organisation who wanted to work in this area, immediately you were able to find all the contacts that you needed. Also, it dispelled a lot of myths that people might have. So you get to meet people that you maybe have never met before. You get to meet experts in the field. Even from just from a, an organisation's perspective, you, you, you meet people who have spent time in prison but are now working as criminologists and academics in institutions, which you'd never really made that link before. Mm-hmm. So it, it dispelled a lot of myths. Um, particularly on what you could do um, once you've been in prison and, 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 and the positive in, impact that you could then have. So I would say that if anybody was looking to work in this particular area, then definitely look to attend the PLA as a good first point of call. I'm extremely grateful to all of you for your time. That's been genuinely fascinating for me. I've learned a hell of a lot. And uh, I think what's key is that learning is at the heart of what you do, not just in a very obvious sense, providing education to people but you appear to be very clearly learning from what you are doing and how you are doing whether that's specifically the the Welsh Prisons pilot project Claire certainly from some of the stuff you said Jamie in terms of how you've adapted mm. course delivery course can, content styles of, of, of teaching and, and things like that Mike's touched on you know the peer mentoring and, and how the actual learning happens and, and, and I think what's great is the amount of possibly enforced or the, the available kind of time to reflect you know, we, we talk a lot about that within community development but we also talk about the importance of learning as part of that part of that journey you know whatever it is you're looking to achieve collectively individually as individual partners literally as individuals then learning is at, is at the heart of that and I think what's come through this very very loud and clear is the non-discriminatory way in which that's done and that that non-sort of judgmentalism that all too often is there and has to be tackled and, and, and tolerated sometimes because you know you haven't got the time or the resource to challenge that that you know the job is the job and the, you, you, you've got to crack on with that so that's really sort of refreshing if people wanted to keep in touch know more about what you all do what are your, your social media outlets and channels if you know them i've had them written down for me so i can say them otherwise okay so it's on twitter it's at prisoners ed and on facebook it's prisoners education trust prisoners S apostrophe, just to be very grammatically pedantic about this. And so on there will be links to events, links to documents, links to research, but also other things that people are presumably doing themselves, prisoners. Yeah, and if just people just want to get in touch and ask some questions. Website is prisonerseducation.org.uk. Jamie, from your point of view at Cardiff Met? Yeah, um, um, you can check us out on at Widening Access or cardiffmet.ac.uk forward slash Widening Access. Okay, so once again, thank you very much. Best of luck with whatever time is left with the, the pilots. I mean, how much time have we got left with that? We're project? drawing to an end, but we're hoping to continue with projects for the next three years. Cool, best of luck with the funding and the applications and the partnership arrangements and the lobbying and the twisting of arms that you have to do with that. Mike, best of luck with the journalism. Thank you. Coming to the Western Mill sometime soon. Or <laughs> print journalism is dead, that's all I keep being told. But interestingly, one of the podcasts we've got coming up is with community journalism. 
and how people are looking as that as a medium for re-presenting or re-representing how communities are portrayed, how they're involved in the generation of news and the consumption of news, which I think is very, very fascinating with um, the community journalism team over at Cardiff University, if I'm allowed, Jamie, to mention. I don't mind, it's fine. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you for listening. If you are involved in community development, you might never, ever anticipate or expect to be setting foot within a prison complex. And it might well be that you're surprised, as much as I am, to be perfectly honest, the extent to which there are parallels and principles and common values in what we may do in a more mainstream community development centre, in a community place, as there is within a prison context. I hope people have found that useful. Please share the previous podcasts at www the community development podcast.co.uk available on iTunes on Twitter as well as at com C-O-M-M, D-E-V-T podcast and uh, also on LinkedIn if you would like to come on and discuss different aspects of your community development practice I would love to hear from you and would love to have the conversation contact details are on the on the website so to all of you thank you once again thank you very much thank you thank you